Please take a seat. We have four short readings this, mo- this morning throughout the book of Romans, and the first of those is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, and that can be found on page 1128 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. So Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then continuing from chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And then continuing from chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then continuing finally from chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks uh, so much, Maria, for reading that. Um, Wasn't that a great song? Uh, if your foot is tapping, um, that'll be why. Uh, we'll pray. I'm going to use it as a, as a prayer for us as we, uh, as we look at this together. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would just see more of your amazing grace, of your unfailing love to us. Uh, this morning, as we look at this passage together, as we start this new series, I pray we'd see it more and more, and it would just deepen our understanding of who you are and who we are in the light of it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this is a, uh, it's a new series, um, which is going to take us through, uh, for the next few weeks, looking at this um, final section of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a terrific book. If you have time to read it through uh, in the next uh, few days and coming weeks, uh, it'll do, do you much, much good. Um, it is a, a season of change and transition, I'm very aware. Some of you... Um, some of you may be uh, finishing up the academic year now or soon. Um, some of you uh, may kind of be working out what your summer is going to look like, um, or even next year and what that is going to look like. What, what is your next chapter? Uh, what is um, uh, coming for you? Are you making plans at the moment for what the next uh, phase of your life looks like? Um, or perhaps even moving on from Manchester? Uh, as a church, corporately, that's very much where we are at the moment. Last week, 
Um, there was a letter from uh, Steve and Rachel um, that uh, thanked us all for their gifts and the send-off that they got um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and you might have uh, been here for some of that. And Steve wrote that letter in lots of ways, closing out one chapter for them, and very aware that it opens another chapter for us uh, and uh, the next few um, weeks and months, and then into the future. Uh, and he spoke of his hope and prayer for us as that next chapter begins. What is your next chapter? What does it look like? The book of Romans, which we're going to look at um, over these next weeks, in, in lots of ways, it, it reshapes a story for all of us. It gives us all um, a narrative, a story for who we are. Uh, and it gives us that story through uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It explains where we've come from and, and the situation we were in, what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and it, it works, it, it gives us that kind of story. This, the reason Maria kindly read those um, verses out and you think, what on earth is Paul doing? Um, these little sections. It's a way of giving you a shorthand and a shorthand structure for the book of Romans, which you'll, I, I suggest you would, you'd find quite helpful if you're digging into it. Um, in terms of how Paul is presenting the whole book, here is, here is, if you like, a structure that you could get your head around quite quickly um, and will help you work your way through the book of Romans. Um, I kind of think of it as four mountain peaks. Um, the, the book of Romans is grand and, and great in its view, but it has some mountain peaks, some real sort of uh, 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 mountaintop moments. Um, the first phase, if you like, and I got, us, uh, I got Maria to read um, uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 16 and 17, where Paul talks about his subject, the gospel, that he's not ashamed of it. Uh, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. What is he? He's talking about the gospel. He's saying it is salvation for anyone and everyone who would turn and trust in Jesus, whatever your background, whatever your ethnicity, whatever you've achieved or not achieved. The gospel is salvation uh, for all. Um, and it, it's something that God does. He reveals it to us. He brings it to us in the Lord. And what follows from there are, from that, there are, he sort of unpacks what that means. Uh, he unpacks particularly the plight that we were in, facing uh, God's anger and judgment um, at our sin and our rebellion, and what Jesus did in offering himself to pay for that for us. And as he unpacks that in, uh, in the first section, he reaches a point then in chapter 5. So the first of those, you'll see the, the three boxes that follow all begin with the word therefore. Romans is quite logical in how it moves. And he starts then by saying, look, so if that is true, if Jesus has done this for us, therefore we are justified. It means we've been given a right standing with God. Our status has changed. If this is true, that is what has happened to us. Therefore, now we're justified. We've, we've been made right before him. We're in a position uh, of relationship with God. And then he unpacks that a bit further and what that means uh, in the kind of following chapters, five, six, seven. And he explains that a bit. And then he reaches a, a third mountain peak where he says, well, if that is true, if Jesus has done this for us and paid the price for our sin and we've been given this right standing, well, therefore, there is now no condemnation. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. It can't be undone. It can't be rewound. Those who trust Jesus, there's no condemnation for those who are trusting in him. And it's his third mountain peak, if you like. And he unpacks that a bit further in, verse, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, and, and what God has done um, in, in, in and through history to bring that about, uh, and that there's no condemnation for those who believe. And he ends uh, as he uh, uh, makes his way through. The final mountain peak in chapter 12 is where we are today and where I want to spend the rest of our time together um, looking at that, where he says then again, do you see, therefore, uh, offer your bodies... Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true um, and proper worship. Um, and the reason he is saying that, I guess, is, is if, you're, if you're out on a walk um, uh, with Paul, mentally, so to speak, metaphorically, you are, at this point, he's saying, look back and see those three mountain peaks. In view of everything that has been done for you, in view of that wonderful horizon, therefore, this is how you're now to live. And much of what I'm saying and much of this series won't make sense unless we have that sense of what has come before, uh, that we're doing this in view of God's mercy, in view of those mountain peaks, then do these things. Uh, And we'll look at those today and, and in coming weeks. So that is quite a, it is quite a useful shorthand. If ever you're kind of looking at the book of Romans, uh, you, you'll get much out of it if you then sort of dive into those chapters and look at what uh, Paul is saying in each one. Um, so you'll see in these verses, it's pretty easy to get your head around. Um, the start of the verse 1, we've only got two verses. Uh, verse 1 talks about your bodies in the middle there. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Verse 2 talks about the renewing of your mind. So bodies and minds. He's talking about the whole person uh, that you are, uh, and he wants to talk about those two things, so we'll talk about those. And the first of them is this, that we're going to talk about your body, and what he's describing here is a way of living in light of what God has done that is living, serving out of thanks and not fear. Out of thanks and not fear. Um, have a look. What he says is, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He is using temple language, okay? So from the Old Testament, the language of the temple, the language of the sacrificial system that the, uh, uh, was in place in the Old Testament. Now, if you know uh, a little about it, you may know, you may not, that there were different kinds of sacrifices. And broadly speaking, at least two of them are kind of quite key to know. One is that you uh, if you were um, someone living in the Old Testament times and you came to the temple, you might be coming to bring uh, a sacrifice to say sorry uh, for your sin and to make things right for your, for your sin. And that the sacrifice was then going to die uh, in, in symbolically in place of you and it was going to kind of make what's called atonement to make things right for you. Um, Paul is not talking about that, Okay? This is really important. He's not talking about that. Why? Well, back in chapter 3, that is how he describes Jesus himself. Jesus is described as a sacrifice of atonement. He's described as the sacrifice, once for all, that takes place. And so he's not describing what we're to do as that. You don't offer your bodies to make yourself right with God. It's not that. That, if you want to look it up later, is chapter 3. 
And, and precisely because Jesus has done that, we don't need to do that again. But there was a different kind of sacrifice that you might have brought if you were living in the Old Testament times, and that was more like a, a thank offering. It was a thank offering. It, was, uh, uh, it might have been some of your livestock or your grain or whatever it might have been, and you brought uh, the first of what you had, uh, you brought the best of what you had, um, and you brought it to God and you offered it as a sacrifice. And what you were saying in that was not, make me right with you, it was saying, thank you, Lord. In fact, you were saying, not just thank you, but really, do you know, everything that I have is yours, really, God. And what I'm bringing you is the first and the best of what I have, just to show that. I can give this away to you, because actually everything that you, I have came from you anyway. And I'm here saying thank you. So did you see the distinction between those two? And it's quite an important distinction, because what it leads to, one, if you do the latter, uh, a, a, a sacrifice of thanks, uh, it comes out of what you know God has already done for you in view of God's mercy. Do you see? And it leads to these two things. And there's a distinction, I guess, that Paul has in mind between a fear-based religion and a thanks-based Christianity. A fear-based religion and a thanks-based Christianity. And, um, a fear-based religion, if you, uh, if you want to know what that is, it's that... That sense that God is out there and he's probably going to catch you out at some point. That just at the wrong moment, he's going to appear from behind a doorway or behind a pillar and say, I always knew you were like that, and you're out. You're condemned. I suspected it all along, and there you are. And a fear-based religion kind of works with that in mind, wondering, panicking, that perhaps that's what's going to happen. And you see, remember... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The one thing he cannot do is come out and say, you now are condemned, because he has condemned Jesus Christ in our place. But fear-based religion, uh, it, it still operates, and I think it can still well up in us even at times. Uh, it's the kind of sense that you might have occasionally that um, it, it creates a kind of panic Occasionally you sort of think, oh gosh, I've forgotten God for a while, and you sort of panic and think, um, can I, uh, what can I give you, God, of, of whatever I've got left over? Um, can I scrabble down the back of the sofa and see if there's any money there to give you? Have I, have I got any time left in my diary? I've really not thought about you all at all, and I panic and think, God, can I give you something? What have I got left? It can lead to uh, shame, fear-based religion, because in the darkness, in the quiet, you wonder, is he going to appear? And actually, what, I'm, what I haven't done for him just plays in my mind. I haven't done enough for you, Lord, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. And nobody else seems to know it, but I do. It can lead to bitterness. Uh, a bitterness because if what you've got to do at the end of the day is scrabble around and find something to give God, you kind of think, well, God, too much, that was all I had left. That was all I had left of the time that I had, the money that I had, the, uh, uh, what I could serve you. And I didn't really want to do it. And I'm bitter at you. And lastly, it can just lead to exhaustion. Fear-based religion will exhaust you in the end. It doesn't really last in the end. And it may be that you're somebody who has either experienced that or come out of that uh, or perhaps is in that at the moment and your sense is that it's just exhausting. It, won't, it really won't last over time. 
And Paul contrasts that with a, a, in view of God's mercy, in view of what he has done for us, a thanks-based Christianity. And let me put it this way. I'll try and illustrate it. If you imagine a friend that you have, a spouse that you have, who does something um, brilliant for you, um, something really wonderful. Um, I don't know, perhaps they put on some terrific uh, birthday surprise, birthday party, or whatever it might be. Or, or they do something out of wonderful kindness. They come and uh, rescue you when you're stranded somewhere, um, or you're really sick and you're, uh, you're in great need, and they come and they care for you and look after you. When you have somebody who has done something wonderful for you, you don't spend your time asking yourself, do I, do I, ha- oh, you know, I, I have to serve them now in response? I feel like I have to do that for them. Frequently, don't we, we find ourselves saying, this person, they're in my life, I love them, they're great, they're such a good friend, they're such a great uh, uh, family member. It's not that I have to serve them, it's that I get to serve them. I get to do this for them. They are superb. If you met them, you'd love them. I get to do these things for them because they are great. And that is a thanks-based Christianity, a thanks-based response. Um, uh, to, to, to do it out of thanks, um, it means we can move from one of those to the other, and when he says, uh, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, it means us moving from, so panicking and saying, uh, I haven't you know, given any money to God this month, what can I find, um, is there anything left, to saying, actually God, given what you have done for me, I am free to give to you as soon as I have been paid in the month, if you're somebody who has paid you know, I'm free to do that, given that everything you've, got, you've given me, I'm, I'm free to, to give to you in that way. I, I trust you with the rest, because that's how I know who you are. Uh, last week, we were uh, hearing from the North Africa team, the team that are going to um, uh, visit the Burns, uh, and uh, they're, they're kind of here, and they were talking about the, the trip they're going on. Um, and it, it can move us, this, this, this kind of pattern here, moves us from, if you were somebody who sort of panics and says, Lord, whatever you do, don't send me overseas. Um, I'll go anywhere for you, but don't, don't send me overseas. Don't send me on that church plant. Um, if you're somebody who kind of lives in fear that God is going to go, I want you to do this. Actually, you know, it frees you to say, Lord, okay, you've given me everything that I have. Where can I help you? Where do you want me to go? Do you see the difference between those two? It is, I'm aware, very aware it is exam season for some of you. I imagine some of you are just finishing them up. Maybe you've got a few of you have got a few left. Um, going into exam season, what does the movement of this look like? Frequently we can find ourselves at this point, um, I've taken many exams in my life, um, worrying, kind of what will my parents think? Uh, what will my peers think? What is this going to say about me? What is the judgment, the verdict it is going to give uh, on me, and that fear-based life. And it moves us from that to say, do you know, actually, as, you, as I go into this exam, I know that in the gospel I have been given the grade that matters and cannot be changed. I cannot now be condemned. I've been given that, and that frees me to go into this exam. For the next two or three hours, okay, God, I get to show kind of how you've made me, how you've been working in me, you see, it moves you from one to the other. It is uh, body-based. Uh, it is um, physical, and it is um, 
uh, it is uh, real. This is a, a John uh, Stott's uh, quote, which I think is quite helpful, where he describes as somebody who's doing this, it has a tangible, practical quality to it. Uh, our tongues will bring healing, our hands will lift up those who've fallen, uh, and will perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning, typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. To offer your bodies is to do these things, and to do them in view of God's mercy, in view of the one who has done all of this for us. So that is our bodies. Um, serving out of thanks and not fear. Um, and secondly, our minds. Your mind? Uh, Thinking in new ways and not old habits. So he picks up uh, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, Thinking in new ways and not old habits. He's, um, He's interested in us as whole people, bodies and minds. And the way we think, he suggests, needs to change. What is he getting at? He's saying... If you like, can you see, there are, there are, again, there's another distinction. There are patterns and ways of thinking that we see in the world, in society, in cultures, or cultures across the world. And there are then patterns, ways of thinking, that arise from what we understand in the Bible, what God has taught us. And it's those two things. And so this, uh, this distinction here, there is the, the patterns of this world, and there's the patterns... Uh, of God's will and what he's revealed. Notice he's not saying that everything uh, in this world is bad. He's not making that distinction. Uh, This world has been created by God. Uh, All things are to be enjoyed uh, out of thanks to him. But he's saying, can you see, can you think, what are the patterns of thought that work in the world that we have and in the culture and society that we have? And how are they different to, how do they measure up against the patterns of thought that the Bible talks about. Now, do you notice he keeps the topics completely open here? He's not specific at all. Um, So we could sit down and have a conversation about what are the patterns of thought that we see. Um, uh, We could talk about money. We could talk about sex. We could talk about power. We could talk about friendship. We could talk about children. We could talk about careers, politics, the church, whatever you want to talk about. And he's saying, can you think? Can you think about how the world works? What are the patterns underlying, uh, underlying it? Uh, and what is happening? Um, cartoons often capture this quite well. Uh, that sort of, uh, can you see something from a different angle? Um, I quite like this cartoon. It's a favorite of mine. Um, uh, if you don't understand this, <laughs> it is based on, it's based on the idea, there is a game called Whack-A-Mole. Have you uh, come across that? Where a little mole will pop out, out of one of these holes and your aim is to hit it with a hammer. Um, uh, and it's a kind of fairground uh, uh, game that you might play. Guys, you look utterly bemused as though this makes no sense whatsoever. There you go. Um, and the cartoonist has turned it on its head. Rather than, you know, if, it, if you spend any time on Twitter, uh, that is what whack-a-mole is. Somebody says something, and then, you know, several thousand people get out a hammer and hit them. Um, this turns it on its head. Patterns of thought, a different way of thinking. See, that's, that's how I like to think of moles, you know. You don't need to understand them. But um, it's that change. Can you, often we think that Christianity is saying, you know, it's a, we're told it's, you've got to kind of leave your mind behind. 
And so often the Bible is saying, it's not that. It's actually you don't think enough. Are you thinking enough about how the world works? Are you thinking enough about what's going on? Um, Rebecca um, McLaughlin um, has just published a book. Um, she, um, full disclosure, she is a, uh, somebody we knew in Cambridge. Um, she's now in the States um, uh, and has been involved in uh, university ministries out there for a number of years um, and has just published a book which is called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Um, it's kind of in the mode of Tim Keller's Reason for God, if you've read that, although interestingly, 10 years on, some of the questions that I think have come up are perhaps a bit different to even 10 years ago, and she is trying to address those. Early on in her book, she does exactly this. She's talking about um, how you might approach Christianity and ask whether it's got anything to say or whether it's worth your time. And she moves through, just quite quickly, a number of areas where um, modern um, uh, psychology and research has found that biblical principles are actually good for our well-being. And that people are sort of finding that, what they are looking for and aren't finding, because the patterns of thought in the world don't work. If you look at what the Bible says, actually it makes sense. If you, so let me give you some examples so that you can kind of understand. It's, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. She charts some um, uh, research into wellness and, and kind of well-being. And says it really is, you are more blessed. If you give rather than receive, you actually will find your life improves. Um, the, the love of money really does disappoint. Uh, some research has been done to correlate those two things. That work, and work is a good thing, and that it really does work for us when it's a calling, she writes. That actually it's, uh, it's not there to, be, um, to enslave us, but nor is it there to kind of get rid of. Actually, when we, when we have the right sense of work, it will work for us. That gratitude, giving thanks, interestingly, she says, is linked to people's sense of well-being. If you live a life that is thanks-based, it will help you. Now, all she's doing at that point is saying, look, do you see the patterns where we've got to in the world and what the Bible is saying? And if you understand, you can see them, you might start to think Christianity has something to say to you. Now, we could take this in a whole load of areas, but briefly, as we kind of bring this together, I want to just tease up one which will take us into the next few weeks, because we've called this series Call to Community. And what Paul does in Romans 12 onwards is he looks at how we do this together as a body. And in the, um, one of the, um, uh, one of the uh, uh, points that uh, Rebecca makes in her book she lands on one particular pattern of thought in the world, and it's to do with loneliness and community, and it's to do with where we've got ourselves to in society. And she has this phrase. She describes us as our single portion society. We are now a single portion society. See what she's saying? The pattern of this world, the way that we're operating now is that we are isolated and individual, and we have our single portions of whatever that may be in life. I need my portion, my account, my thing. Um, And she talks about Christianity and what the pattern of thought should be. And then she says this. She said, actually, in contrast to that, and this is where Romans will take us in lots of ways, Jesus preached a gospel of radical intimacy with him first and foremost, but through him also with each other. A level of intimacy that Christians seldom reach. So she actually throws it back at Christians and says, what's 
the pattern of this, uh, the pattern of God's will, and we'll see this unfold, is far more community-minded, far more serving of one another, far more intimate than we rare than we we ever usually get to as Christians. So the challenge comes back to us. And it is something that the world yearns for, um, I think. Even though the pattern of the world might describe itself as a a, a single portion society, we yearn for something else. Um, Here are two um, completely different films. Um, uh, You might have seen some of these uh, not so long ago, a film called The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society, kind of, you know, uh, period dramery kind of thing, um, and Avengers Endgame. Now, you wouldn't think these two films have much in common uh, or are saying much that would, would overlap, but both of them reflect on this kind of topic, and they're, what they're doing almost inadvertently is speaking into this and telling us what the world is yearning for. There are two characters, two um, female characters in both um, uh, film, in, in either film, and they both use the same word, so these two films are linked by one word. I don't know if you can imagine what it is. So Lily James's character um, in the film uh, on the left describes the people that she meets and this gathering of, uh, of folk on the island. And she describes how they have become for her a family. Uh, and if you know Avengers, uh, you'll know that at one point Scarlett Johansson's character describes how this, until she had nothing, until she met this group, this family. The world, interestingly, I think, longs for the pattern of God's will and doesn't know it. And Christians, if you are a Christian this morning, we are here to be a witness to that and to demonstrate it and invite people into it. And as Rebecca's book makes clear, often we fall far short of that. The rest of Romans will take us and challenge us as to how we might do that together. Family is something the world yearns for. Family, of course, is the structure that God gives us as a church. What is your next chapter? I don't know where you're going to be going over the next few weeks, over the next summer, into the next year. Where God wants to take you and me and us is that we might offer our bodies and renew our minds moving us to serve him out of thanks and gratitude for everything he's done and renewing our minds to see how he wants us to live. That's what I hope and pray will be part of the next chapter for us here at Platt uh, and you and I together as we go forward. Why don't we pray together? Heavenly Father, we pray that as a church community, as a church family, we would be good at doing these things. We would remind ourselves and drink deeply from your mercy shown to us and that it would move us to live in ways that please you, uh, to do things practically and tangibly out of uh, that sense of gratitude. And Lord, be renewing our minds, we pray. Help us to see, to think wisely and clearly, and then to act in light of it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.